0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So uh, I want to begin, first of all, by welcoming everybody uh, who is joining us both online, um, here in this room, and in our Vallejo campus. This is their very first Easter, the grand opening of our Vallejo campus, and we're really, really excited about that. So welcome, those of you in the other part of town. Yeah. Um, So there is a saying that has been a part of the Easter celebration for centuries now. And some of you might be familiar with it. Some of you may not if this is kind of your first time in church. Um, But it goes something like this. Someone initiates it by saying, he is risen. And then the response from the crowd is, he is risen Okay. So you know that. Some of you do. Some of you didn't, but now you do. Okay. So um, we're going to try it again. And I want you to kind of say it like you really believe it? All right. So he is risen. He is risen all right. So here's what I thought would be really cool since we're on two campuses now that we're going to kind of do a campus to campus. He is risen thing. Okay. So we're going to be the initiators over here in Benicia. and We're all going to say he is risen. And then you're not going to be able to hear their response, but we're just going to go on faith because that's what <laughs> today is really all about. Right. Okay. So we're going to do the first part and we'll just trust that Vallejo, you're taking part in this with us. All right, so here we go, all together. Benicia, he, he is, is risen. risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought that would be kind of cool, our first chance to do that. Um, what we celebrate today is a singular event in human history. In fact, it is the singular event in human history, and not just in human history, but actually for all eternity it is what we celebrate today, the most important event. It is what our, our faith hinges on. If there's no resurrection, then nothing else Jesus said really matters, if you think about it, because he said he would rise from the dead, and if he doesn't do that, then how can we believe anything else he said? So it really is become uh, the most important day, uh, whether you're a Christ follower or not, because all of history now hinges on this day. And... Um, What's interesting is you read all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of them write about the resurrection. What's interesting is they talk and they give in detail, a lot of detail, but not all the same detail. And sometimes people have said things like, well, it's so inconsistent. How can you believe it? Because one guy says one thing and one guy says another. But I have a, my next door neighbor actually is um, a former police investigator. Now he has his own polygraph business. And one of the things that he told me years and years ago is, you know, when you interview suspects and they all tell the exact same story, that's when you're suspicious. Because now you know they've kind of gotten their act together and they figured it all out and they're going to tell the exact same story. When you get from different people different pictures of it, but the main story holds consistent, then you know it's the truth. And so what we celebrate today is something that is not just a made-up story. It is truth, and it is something that has changed our lives. Now, here's the other thing that I have found is people who are not believers, this is the thing that seems to be the biggest hang-up for people. Because a lot of times people will say things like, I believe that there was a Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. And yes, he was a great teacher, a great philosopher, maybe a great theologian. Some would even go so far as to say, yeah, he was probably a prophet of God. But this resurrection thing, that's just a little bit too much for me to swallow. And if you find yourself at that point today, I'm glad you're here. Because I want you to know you are not alone. (laughs) In fact, in fact... Jesus' followers didn't believe it. He spent most of Easter convincing them that he really was alive, that he really was with them. In fact, Luke records it, that he showed up with the disciples all gathered together in the room, and he showed up right in front of them, and it says they stood there in disbelief. (laughs) They they, they saw him, but it was like too good to be true. They couldn't believe it. And so what I want to do today is talk a little bit about faith and doubt. And I want to tell you, I am a firm believer in doubt (laughs) because doubt is the thing that can lead you to faith. And the question is not an issue of whether or not we have doubt. The real issue is what do we do with our doubt? Because I do believe that doubt can lead you to faith. And, And the other thing I'm going to tell you, talk to you about is There are different types of doubt, different families of doubt, if you will. And I think we really get a picture of this through the eyes of those first century followers. As Jesus appeared to each of them, each had a different form of doubt. And each one of them, Jesus provided an answer for them. And so wherever you are at today, if you came in here today and you only came here because it's Easter and you got to go to church on Easter because your mom made you or something like that. Okay, I'm just glad you're here. And if you've got doubts about this whole thing, I want you to know you're in good company. And in fact, I will even go so far as to say I believe everyone in this room has had or has their own doubts. I have had my own over the years. But what you do with your doubt is what truly matters. So today we're going to take an honest look at doubt and the different families of doubt and where Jesus answers each and every one of them. And we're going to start with Mary Magdalene because she is one of the first there at the tomb. And her doubt you might call doubt from a wounded heart. It's not, it's not intellectual. It's not reasonable. It's, just, it's, it's doubt that has been shaped by grief and hurt and disappointment. It's an emotional kind of doubt. Now, what you need to know about Mary is she was a close follower of Jesus. She wasn't one of the 12 that was originally called, but there was a large group of followers that continued to follow Jesus. And Mary Magdalene had been demon-possessed. Seven demons had been cast out of her by Jesus. And very since that day, she continued to follow him. And she was, she's, she's one of the very few who are mentioned by name that were at the cross, at the crucifixion. She is one of the first who are there Easter Sunday morning at the tomb. But when she gets to the tomb and she sees that it is empty, her first response is not, he has risen. Her first response is, somebody stole the body. In fact, it says that she, when she got there and she saw that the tomb was empty, the first thing that she did was she ran and found other disciples. She found Peter and John. And she went to Peter and John, and this is what she said. She came running to them and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. Her first response was not one of faith. It was of doubt. It was questioning. What in the world has happened? Even though Jesus, on at least three separate occasions, had told them that he was going to be arrested, he was going to be crucified, he was going to be buried, and he would rise on the third day. But none of them believed it. She didn't believe it. And she ran and gets Peter and John, and they come with her to the tomb. And they get there, and they walk in, and they see it, and they see the empty tomb, and they're not sure. It says, in John's account, it says, they believed, but they didn't understand. It's like, they believed it was empty, but they weren't sure what had happened here. And eventually, they leave, but Mary stays there at the tomb. In fact, she actually goes in and takes a second look. And when she goes and looks into the tomb again, this time there were two angels there. And the angels look at her and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. She still doesn't know. She questions. She's uncertain. She has doubts. The only thing she can make sense of any of this is that somebody has taken the body somewhere and she doesn't know where it is. And in fact, Jesus shows up there. And she doesn't even recognize him through her tears, through her grief, whatever it is. When she looks at him, she thinks he's the gardener. And she says to him, if if you've taken him away, then tell me where you have put him and I will get him. See, it's a very real doubt. And, And the truth is that every one of us have those painful experiences. No one goes through life unscathed by that. And whether you consider yourself a believer or you don't, those kinds of experiences will cause you to wonder, is God really there? Does he really care? I've had enough conversations as a pastor over the years with people who have gone through a very, very difficult, painful experience, and that painful experience has led them to give up on God. And it's almost like like an insurance policy for the heart. Because when your heart has been broken, that is very, very painful. And so what we tend to do is is kind of make a protective shell to guard our hearts. It's kind of like this insurance policy. We don't want to be hurt again, so it's easier to doubt than to put our trust in something that we might be let down or hurt again. And it's meant to be self-protective, but it becomes self-defeating. And there's really only one way to handle this kind of doubt. And maybe if you find yourself there today... Whether you're consider yourself a believer or not, but you've just you're in the middle of something or you've just gone through something, or there was a painful experience in your past that you caused you to give up on God. There's only one thing that can answer that. And it's actually being honest. It starts with acknowledge the hurt. Sometimes we just we don't want to think about it, so so we, we keep it balled up, but just acknowledge the hurt. But when you acknowledge the hurt, the next thing you need to do with that is Let God heal your heart. That means being vulnerable again. That means taking the risk and and opening myself up to the possibility that I may be disappointed again. But when you do that, see, that's, that's what Mary did. She didn't give up. She's teetering on the edge. She doesn't understand what's going on. But the one thing that she does is she doesn't go away. She will stay there until she finds some answer. And that's what happens. She doesn't recognize Jesus, but he comes to her with tenderness and with compassion, and he simply says this, Mary. Calls her by name. And in that moment, there is recognition, and she responds in Aramaic, Rabboni, Master, Teacher, Lord. My Master. We used to sing years and years ago now, A song around here, the title of it was, He Knows My Name. And the chorus is, He Knows My Name, He Knows My Every Thought. He sees each tear that falls, and He hears me when I call. And that is the answer to this type of doubt. You stay there until He meets with you. Because, see, the promise of the resurrection says that I can trust Him even through my tears even in the midst of my pain, even in the midst of my grief and my sorrow and, and whatever it is that I am experiencing right now, I can still trust him. And if I remain there, he will show up. There may be a gap. But part of what he's doing is he's teaching us to rely and to trust no matter what. There is an answer to that kind of broken-hearted doubt. Second type of doubt you might call doubt from faulty assumptions. Okay? Um, and this has to do with just not understanding. Have you ever misjudged somebody? Like the first time you see somebody, they seem to be snooty and uppity and, and snobbish to you. And then after you get to know them for a little while, you begin to understand, no, they're just painfully shy. <laughs> That's why they didn't talk to you. And it changes your whole perspective on that person. Have you noticed this? There are some people that I know that have just their natural facial expression is they kind of have a downturned mouth. Some people have a naturally upturned corners of the mouth. Some people have a naturally downturned mouth. And I have made this mistake before seeing somebody like this and thinking, you know, they're an angry, bitter, miserable person. And then I find out, no, that's just the way their face hangs, you know. <laughs> They're really actually quite nice people, you know? They're very happy people. But, but we make these judgments because we don't have all the information. We don't understand. We have incomplete information or a flawed understanding. And this kind of doubt might be considered more of an intellectual type of doubt. We don't know everything. Here's the truth. Every one of us in this room have a God made in our own image. Really. Because none of us fully understand The enormity of God, or his grace, or his love, or his power. None of us do. So what we have is a perception in our own minds of who we think he is. And very often, he surprises us. There's an episode of The Simpsons where uh, Homer Simpson, who is not the sharpest tool in the shed. And not a particularly good theologian. But through a long series of events, he ends up being a missionary to a small uh, island in Micronesia. Yeah, I know, it doesn't make any sense. But, uh, and everything kind of goes wrong, and finally, finally he decides he needs to help the, the, the natives build a nice chapel. And so they build this chapel, and he stands back and looks at the chapel, and he says, I may not know much about God, but I think we built him a pretty good cage. <laughs> the truth is, many of us have God in a cage. God in a box, because we don't understand And it doesn't make sense sometimes. And what we think we knew about God turns out to be not true. See, you don't have to throw out your brain to have faith. Some people think that logic and reason and intellectualism, that is the opposite of faith, and it is not. Our faith is a reasoned faith. We don't have all the information. We don't have all the answers. But see, that's the whole deal. That's what makes it Faith, because none of us can fully understand God in his enormity. None of us can fully comprehend who he is. And there will be, there will be some times where your, your, your perception or your concept of God is going to be challenged. Don't be afraid of that. If you fast forward the Easter story, now it goes to uh, mid-afternoon or or early afternoon. And this time, it's a different group of followers. Again, not one of the original 12, but two guys who are from a town of Emmaus. And they have been in Jerusalem for the feast. And they saw Jesus arrested. They saw the crucifixion. And they had expected him to be the Messiah. And and now that he's dead and buried, it's all over with. And so they're just kind of giving up. And they're on their way back home. And Jesus appears to them. And again... They don't recognize him. For whatever reason, they don't recognize. But, but he comes alongside and joins them in the conversation. And as they're going along, they're talking about all the events that have happened in Jerusalem. And, and he turns to them and he says, well, what are you guys talking about? And they say, in essence, where have you been? Hiding under a rock? <laughs> I mean, don't you know? Now, that's the KJV, the Ken Jensen version. Now, your version might say it a little bit differently. But in essence, they're saying... Haven't you, what's been, haven't you seen what's been going on? Don't you know all that's happened? And they start talking to him about Jesus, talking to Jesus about Jesus. It's kind of strange, but, but, but that's what he's doing. And they start telling him about all of these things about him. In fact, they say things like this, that, that he was a prophet. He was powerful in what he said and did in the eyes of God and people. See, they have, they have information. They have some knowledge, but it's incomplete The chief priests and the rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death, and they nailed him to the cross. We had hoped that he was the one. Because their concept of God's Messiah was very, very different than who Jesus turned out to be. Messiah wasn't going to get killed. Messiah was going to be victorious. Messiah was going to throw off the Roman rule. Messiah was going to lead the nation of Israel back into prominence. Messiah was going to be the one we could count on. We thought he would be it. But no. They had information. They had some knowledge. But it was incomplete. And that kind of doubt is very real. When we don't fully understand Here's what you do. You let your doubt lead you to seek truth. You don't give, if God doesn't fit in your box, don't get rid of God. Get rid of your box. <laughs> he is bigger than your box or your cage, as Homer would say. He is much bigger than that. And you don't have to throw out faith if it doesn't make sense the way it used to. What you do is you let that doubt lead you and push you and prod you to keep seeking and find out more. Because the problem is not God. It's your perception of God. And our inability to understand will hinder our ability to trust. And the way that Jesus deals with them is very different than he deals with Mary. With these guys, he's got some splaining to do. So it says he sits down with them and they enjoy a meal together. And as they are having the meal, he says, how foolish you are and slow to believe. All that the prophets have spoken in the beginning and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The answers were there. You just didn't understand it. It was right there in front of you. You just had a wrong perception. And and if you find yourself today questioning because God didn't turn out to be the way that you thought he would be, the problem is your box. And let that doubt move you to study and further understand. See, here's the, the promise. The promise of the resurrection is that we can trust even when we don't have all the answers. We can trust even when we don't understand. That's what makes faith, faith. Once you get all the answers, you don't need faith anymore. And there's a third type of doubt. And this is a doubt, actually, that is synonymous with the guy whose name is synonymous with doubt, Thomas. And it is doubt that you might call doubt from a wavering commitment. See, Thomas was one of the original 12. And, and, and he had been there with Jesus for these three years. By the way, by the way, do you know that you could become a follower of Jesus without fully believing yet? For three years, these guys followed him. Three years, they saw his miracles. Three years, they heard his teachings. But none of them fully understood and none of them fully believed. Even at the resurrection, they still had their questions and And that's the thing. See, you don't have to have all those answers. You can start following where you're at right now. This is what happens with Thomas. Again, you fast forward a little bit more. Now it's evening time. And disciples have gathered together in fear, in fear, because if this is what they did to Jesus, our leader, what's going to happen to us? And so they're huddled together, all together in a room, and for some reason it says um, that one of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus showed up. Now, we're not told why he wasn't there. We do know that when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. We do know at the cross that only a few of them showed up. But now they kind of come back together. But Thomas isn't there. And this you might call kind of experiential doubt. That it's not so much emotional. It's not so much lack of understanding. It's just that I don't know him myself. And, and what happens is that Thomas is somehow, he didn't get the email or the evite or whatever happened. He's still scattered. He's still out there on his own. But the others have gathered together, and Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up, and they see him alive. And they share a meal. And he talks with them. And, and they're, they're overjoyed. They finally kind of get a grasp on this and a little bit later they find Thomas and they tell him that we've seen the Lord. And this is Thomas' response. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's adamant. He's adamant. I think sometimes... Sometimes when it comes to doubt, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that I want to believe? Because sometimes we will just cling to our doubt and, and disbelief and say it's safer, it's easier, I don't have to think, I don't have to, answer, I don't have to seek for answers, I don't have to do anything, I can just throw it all away. It's also sometimes where things get so overwhelming That you just feel like, I need a personal encounter. Because before we're too hard on Peter, look at what he's asking for. He is asking for his own personal encounter. I'm not going to believe in a ghost. I'm not going to believe in what somebody else tells me. I need to find out for myself. And here's what you do with this type of doubt. You take the step of faith that you can take for now. We talk about this all the time here, that, that... that that we are all people in process, that we are all on this journey of faith together. And some of us are a little further along than others, and some of us are just at the beginning stages. But it is a journey. And it is a journey of growth and development and understanding, and it will go on for the rest of our lives on this earth. That's what it means to be in process. And each step along the way is a step of faith. And, And maybe you're here right now, and things don't make sense or life has become overwhelming to you or you wonder if god cares or what and all of your perception of god is not the, what, and all of that is happening just take the step of faith you can for now maybe you're here and you don't believe any of this stuff like i said you're just here cuz somebody invited you and you're going to go out to lunch afterwards you can make a step of faith to say, I am at least going to investigate this and find out more before I make a final decision. See, that's what, that's what, pe- that's what Thomas does. Fast forward one more time. It's a week later now. Disciples are all together again, but it says, it says this time Thomas was with them, which is, by the way, one of the best things you can do. When you find yourself in that point of struggle, when you find yourself in that point of questioning and doubt and uncertainty, the best thing you can do is put yourself in a community of faith. And I've I've had this happen. I remember years ago, I had someone come to me, and and life had just become so overwhelming, and things had become so bad. And life, it it was a mess. And she came to me, and she says, I can't even pray anymore. Would you pray for me? And sometimes it gets like that. I remember times in my own life where I had such doubt and such questioning that all I could do was rely on the faith of somebody else. I respect them. I know they're smart. I know they know more than I do. And if they can believe, I can hang on to that belief. And it carried me through some times of intense questioning. See, that's what you do. You take the step of faith that you can for now. And so what happens is eight days later, they're gathered together again and this time... Thomas is with them, and Jesus shows up again. And what he does is he offers to Thomas everything that Thomas said he needed. He says, all right, Thomas, here's my hands. Here, put your finger here. Here's, here's a Stick your hand right here. And, and, and as you read it, there's no indication that Thomas actually does it. The minute he sees him, he falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. In other words, the very thing that he thought he needed to believe, he didn't need after all. And that's the way very often it is with faith. We think, I'm not, if I've got too many questions, if I've got too much uncertainty, I can't believe. But you just take the step of faith you can take for now. And here's what you find out in each of these stories. Wherever you are at, wherever questioning, whatever uncertainty, whatever doubt, whatever skepticism you might have, Jesus will meet you wherever you are at. That's what the resurrection says. That's what it tells us that he can you can trust him through your tears you can trust him when you don't understand and you can trust him when you don't trust him when you don't have all the proof and he will meet you wherever you are at John Ortberg writes this There are times when a decision will require a commitment when we don't have total certainty in fact for mo- the most important decisions in life this is almost always the case When we can live with the midst of uncertainty, with joyful and courageous commitment, we will change. We will become maybe not more certain, but more faithful. And faithfulness matters more than certainty. It just doesn't feel as good. What matters then is not certainty, but faithfulness. When certainty is not possible, faithfulness is still on the table. Would you bow your heads with me? And for those of you in our Vallejo campus, same thing. Would you just bow your heads? And your campus host, Megan, will be up there and she will be able to acknowledge your decision today because what we're going to do and what we do every week is give people an opportunity to respond to this message. And wherever you're at, and I don't know where anybody is at right now, but maybe you came in here with a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty. Maybe you came here with skepticism and disbelief. What I want you to know is wherever you are at, Jesus is right here with you. And he will meet with you wherever you're at. And maybe you're here and life has become overwhelming or there's a painful past that makes it so hard for you to believe that there is a God who truly cares. On the cross, Jesus proved that. He was willing to absorb that pain for you, with you pain that sin unfaithfulness deserves he took it on and because of the resurrection he proved he can overcome sin and death and hell and you can put your trust in him and if you're here and you are struggling with a painful past or struggling with a painful present Jesus is here for you and you can trust him in the middle of your tears or if you came in here today And what you thought God was all about, you found out that he's not what you expected. You can trust him. You can trust him even if you don't have all the information. And if you came in here today as a skeptic and it's just really, really hard for you to believe and you think I've got too many questions to become a follower, too many questions to become a believer, you can take a step of faith today. So wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, Whatever it is that keeps you from putting your trust in Him, the resurrection says you can trust Him with anything because He fulfills every one of His promises. And you find yourself at a point of doubt or struggle, and you could use some prayer. I would love to pray for you as we close. So I'm going to ask you to just, if you find yourself in one of those places today, just raise your hand and let me know because I want to pray with you and pray for you and lead you in a prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Now, maybe for you today, it's a first step of faith. You've never put your trust in Him. You can today. You can take the step of faith that you can take today. And it's very simple. All you need to do is acknowledge your need for Him. Acknowledge your faults, your failures, your sin, and let His forgiveness flow over you. Put your life in his hands and let him lead you to a better way of living. You can trust him. And if you've never done that before, but today it's a first step of faith, I ask you to do the same thing. Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. Catch my eye. I want to pray with you, lead you in a prayer as we close. Anybody. I'm going to lead you just in a simple prayer. And whether it's a first-time step of faith or just an area of struggle for you that you're just turning over, the prayer is really very much the same. It simply goes like this. Lord, here I am with my questions, with my uncertainty, with my doubt, with my failures and my faults and my sin. God, I, I, I can't do this on my own. That I do know. And so I'm bringing myself to you and whether it's a first-time decision or just a renewal of a decision in this part of my life, God, I am bringing it to you. Take me the way that I am with my questions, with my faults, with my failures, with my sin, and let your forgiveness wash over me. Let your strength infill me. I am putting my life in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are for us.